Over the last, um, over the last few weeks, we've spent um, oh, a bunch of time celebrating the fact that John and Nay are down in, uh, in Melbourne now, and he's doing his first preach as a senior pastor of a local church in Melbourne, and he's freezing, he's wearing four layers of clothing while he's doing it, and, um, and uh, his beard's getting more rugged every day. But they, they are having a great sense of adventure down there, and it's just so wonderful to see them, like, going all in with God. And they're just, like, going for this. they got, like, no ideas other than Jesus has told us to go. The body of people of, of Jesus got around us and said, we see God on you for this, and they've just doused themselves in the Holy Spirit, and they're off and running. And I just think... Wow, isn't that just like the Bible? People would just like meet God. They'd come under the encounter of the affirmation of the people of God. The Spirit would come on them and off they go into the world. It's just an amazing story. Don't be surprised if you all get that experience. Like you may not have to move town, but you may actually get the Holy Spirit come on you for your workplace. You may actually have the Holy Spirit come on you for your extended family. And the Holy Spirit will come on you and the body of people will get around you and affirm what we see and you'll find yourself as a sent person, as sent as John and Naomi are in this moment, in this season. You are a sent people. Our God is ascending God. Our God is ascending God. That means we have to risk Yep. That means we have to trust. Yep. Our God is ascending God. He saved you to send you. He saved you to send you. Don't be surprised if you feel sent <laughs> once we've finished here this morning that the Holy Spirit will grab a hold of you and recommission you again and send you again into all that the Father's doing in your life, in your real, everyday life. There's a complete disconnect in so many believers, a complete disconnect between their salvation experience and what that's meant to look like in their everyday life. Because somehow we've separated holy and everyday. And there's a massive disconnect. There's not meant to be a disconnect. It's meant to just be this outworking of the love of God in your everyday life. In your parenting, in your marriages, the people in your street. It's just meant to be this ongoing flow through your hobbies and your, the things that you love and the people that meet, you meet and the clubs you're involved in and the football clubs and the, you know, the car clubs and you know, the craft clubs. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just meant to be this ongoing flow of the Holy Spirit. You're a sent people. You're a sent person. Anyway, I'll get off that. Um, the last few weeks we've been just talking about the, um, some of the distinctives, the unique things about who we are at the Vineyard. And I just want to finish up on that this morning. And um, So Andrew, if, if you could just pop that up on the screen for me, that would be great. And on the last, the last slide, uh, we're going we're gonna to start... Whoops, sorry, the second slide I meant. We're going to go to... Um, if you go back one slide, that would be great. We're going to start with... Um, um, is it naturally supernatural? 
Yeah, that's where we're going to start. I, I, I remember in my earliest pursuits in, in terms of the dynamic presence and the power of God. See, I read the book, I, you know, I, I get saved, I'm reading the book, and in the book there's all these people, both, you know, the ones that we would call as, um, you know, the well-known people in the Bible, and then there's all these second-tier kind of people that are mentioned in the Bible, but no one ever notices. All these, you know, women who are leading the early church and in, in all these little towns around, around um, you know, southern Turkey and Asia, and, um, and Paul's meeting them in his journeys, and he's empowering them to lead the body of Christ. And there's all these other people that no one ever seems to notice in the Bible, um, but they're all there if you take time to read it. And um, all these other people, um, somehow we don't see them because we get enamoured with the, the big names of the Bible. We get enamoured or we get caught up with what, what we would say are the Bible, the Bible kind of portrays as the big guns, the ones who are really, you know, anointed and appointed. And, and we miss the rest of them. And unfortunately, one of, the, one of the tragedies is we look at all the big guns and the anointed and appointed and the ones that are the superheroes of the faith and we look at them and we just automatically put up in front of ourselves every reason why I can't be like them. And that is a really sad reflection of our understanding of who we are when we do that. It's a really sad reflection that we do not understand who we are as children of God, called by Jesus, loved by the Father, filled with his Spirit, anointed to extend the kingdom of God. It's a really sad reflection when we look at the names in the Bible and not even the, just, let's, let's zip forward to today, all the, all the Christian names that are in the world right now, all the big guns running around the place, and everyone goes, well, I could never do what they do. That's just such a load of hogwash. But it's a sad reflection of the understanding of the lack of identity and purpose that, we, that we've been given from Jesus. God's not asking you. He's not asking me. He's not asking any of us to be anything other than who you are in him. He's not asking, he's not asking um, David Hockey to be Craig Skinner. He's not, he's not asking Ashley over here to be Simone. He's not asking you to be someone else. He's asking you to be who you and I are. He made you. He fashioned you in your mother's womb. He breathed the breath of his spirit into you in the formation of the very fiber of who you are. He's called you by your name. He didn't, when he was looking at David and decided it was time for David to know, know the Lord, he didn't look at David and go, Craig Skinner, I'm calling you. No, he called David by name because he wanted David 
for the purpose of his kingdom. And he, when he called Ashley, he didn't say, Simone, right. He called Ashley Armstrong because he wanted Ashley Armstrong. God wants you. He doesn't want you to be someone else. He wants you. And I, and I really hope that you get this. Because the sooner you get this, the more empowered you will be to understand God wants to use you. One of the things that I love, or well, in my pursuit of the, the works and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, in the early, my early searchings, I went and visited a number of places and speakers and churches and preachers to try and get an understanding of how this all works. And I went to some really, like, way out there Pentecostal churches. And I went to some really way out there conservative, sort of very um, historical churches as well. And I was crying out saying, God, show me how you move in power. Because I want to move in power. I want to move in the dynamic work of your Holy Spirit. I want to preach good news. I want to heal the sick. I want to cast out demons. I want to feed the poor. But show me. I need some help here. And so I went exploring all these different places. Now I remember going one night, I said to Nicole, we were in our early 20s, and I said, let's go and visit this church. And you know, we were told that there was this Pentecostal preacher in town. And so we went and, and, and listened to him and I mean, this guy, he was a cowboy. I mean, he was like a cowboy of cowboys. Like he was, um, you know, like on steroids in, in terms of his, his um, exuberance and his sense of God on his life. And I'm like, wow, this looks real. Okay, I, I, this guy looks like he's, he's doing good, you know. <laughs> and then he's, you know, he's a classic very Pentecostal environment. He said, okay, I want everyone that wants more of God to come and line up the front. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going for that. I didn't know what I was trying to find in the process, but I, was, I could hear, hear the invitation from God towards my yearning for more. And so I was like, okay, I lined up the front. And anyway, everything was going good until the preacher guy came to me. And then he stood in front of me and he like, totally like whacked me on the head and pushed me to the floor and I'm like well you know I was watching the line and I sort of well I better take a courtesy drop and so down I went and and uh I was on the floor there for a while I was kind of lying there like what do we do now and I you know I'm trying to figure this all out I mean it was all right until he did that to me this guy did that to me he pushed me over I'm like something there's something was going good there but something happened there so I've been whacked, I've been thrown to the floor, I've been given, done courtesy drops, the whole thing, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. I like what this guy was doing, I mean, he's teaching and preaching and I could see God in it and it was calling me out, but then somehow there was a disconnect between that and then his, how he was laying hands on people for me. I don't know, you may have seen or experienced something like that. So I kind of came away from that going, yes, but not quite. And after having visited many churches and watching many preachers and healers and prophets and you name it, 
I, I came to a, a series of conferences that I attended, and then I, I witnessed at these conferences, and they were vineyard conferences, I witnessed people actually allowed to be themselves. They didn't have to do it like, and they didn't have to sound like, and they didn't have to act like someone else. They could just be themselves. They could just be themselves. And God used them. I mean, when I first saw some of these guys in the vineyard, I, just, I couldn't get past their dress code. I thought it was horrendous. Hawaiian shirts and Reeboks and, I mean, it was just, it was like the 80s or something. It was coming back to haunt us. But it was, it was I was just like, but it didn't matter what shirt they wore. It didn't matter what shoes they wore. It didn't, if, it didn't, it didn't matter if they had the right inflection in the way they used the name of Jesus. It wasn't like they had to say, in Jesus' name or Jesus or Jesus <laughs> didn't matter how they said his name it, it completely didn't matter God just loved that these people could be themselves in his presence it, you know it didn't and, it, and the, yeah they got some people like they were getting excited in the presence of God which is awesome they got excited as the Holy Spirit was moving around in the room, and that was wonderful. But I watched these people being themselves. I saw people being given permission, like fresh permission and encouragement to operate in the power of God. And it broke all the stereotypical images and pictures and models that I had built up and that church cultures had encouraged. They just cut through all of that. It didn't matter if they had a certain haircut. It didn't matter if they kind of had a certain look in their eye as they were praying for it. It just didn't matter. God just loved that his people were just enjoying being in his presence as they were. It was a wonderfully refreshing reality. If you've got your Bible, I want you to quickly open it up to Exodus chapter 6. Now in Exodus chapter 6, this is a wonderful illustration here of point. In this point, Moses is um, at the end of, end of chapter 6, the very last verse, two verses of 6 and the start of 7. Um, uh, Moses is, is being called by God to lead God's people. And Moses, I think, is a wonderful illustration. At this point, he's 80 years of age. So he's not the young, cut, buff, sharp, uh, you know, rock star leading people. He's an 80-year-old bloke. 80-year-old bloke. And listen to it. I mean, this guy's been around a while. Now, at the end of um, chapter 6 there, verse 28, uh, now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I'm the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Some, some um, commentators say that uh, he, Moses may have actually had a stutter in, his, in his, uh, the way he talked. And, um, some may, and some commentators say that he had an, a massive anxiety issue and that's why he kind of 
faltered with his conversation in the moment. But note that Moses is saying, God has said, Moses, I'm calling you and I want you to do thus and so. And Moses immediately presents all of his failings, his inability, his perceived inabilities. And if you read on, then the Lord said to Moses, See, Moses, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet, and you're to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. So note that um, God was moving through Moses, the 80-year-old man of faltering lips, with signs and wonders. Because if you go on and read the story, there is this massive outbreaking of signs and wonders where God goes and deals with every pagan deity that there is in the Egyptian world. And ultimately, he deals with Pharaoh by seeing the spirit the spirit of death come over and actually take out Pharaoh's firstborn son, which was God's ultimate, now listen, I am God. Pharaoh and all these other deities are not. I'm God above all gods. So through the 80-year-old faltering lips, Moses, God moved with signs and wonders. He called Moses to be Moses. He's calling you to be you. He's calling me to be me. Now, if you also want to quickly jump over and have a look in um, 1 Samuel 16. This is another great little illustration of point. In Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 16, we see that at this point, King Saul, he's not in a good place with the Lord. He's been anointed king, but he's been misbehaving. And now the Lord is going, that's it, Saul. I'm taking the anointing that was on you and I'm going to put it on someone else. And so Samuel, the prophet, his role is to anoint the new up-and-coming king that will be the leader of the people of God. And so what does he do? Samuel says in uh, verse 1, let's read there, 1 Samuel 16, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. And then the Lord said, well, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? The prophet of God walks into town and they say, do you come in peace? <laughs> it's like, you know, when at the, have you ever been around someone where the power of God is like the fear of the Lord just is on them and you're like, whoa, this person really carries God. Well, anyway, that's a bit like Samuel rolls into town. Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. 
When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely this uh, the Lord's anointed stands here before me. So this is one of Jesse's sons. Okay, so he's got a whole trail of sons, seven sons. And he, he goes, wow, Eliab's there. He looks the goods. Surely as he stands before me, he's the one. Isn't it interesting that even the, the prophet of God gets it wrong? Hello? Now in the Old Testament, <laughs> there was quite a price to pay for getting it wrong. Now I'm not sure if this conversation was going on inside Samuel rather than outside Samuel. I think it was going on inside because if he'd have popped it outside, they would have had justification to kill him and stone him for getting it wrong. So the prophet of God, when he opens his mouth, he actually is very particular about the words that come out. Because if he doesn't say it right. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is the big one. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Wow. But let me just underline that one again. Have you got a pen, highlighter? Underline that one in your Bible. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at when God is achieving his kingdom purposes in the earth. So he's not looking for KPIs. He's not looking how good you look, how, how healthy you know, your health is, he's, or your appearance, or if you're wearing the right clothes, or if you've got the right perfume. Forget it. God's not looking there. He says to Moses, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So then Jesse calls Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, no, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Um, Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord's not chosen any of these. Are these all the sons that you have? Well, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's out tending the sheep. <laughs> in other words, all the important people are in the room. Young, the young fellas out there doing the, you know, work in the yard. Because he's just a young fella. He wouldn't, surely wouldn't qualify to be in the room right now with the prophet of God. Samuel said, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. I wonder how far away he was and how long the stand was. <laughs> so he sent him and he brought him in. He was ruddy, fine appearance, handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. 
So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now, as a young bloke, he's probably in his early teens right now when this story is taking place. Like, he's probably 12, 13 years of age. Young fella, out doing the jobs on the farm, looking after everything. Because the big brothers are all inside with the important people. But he's about 12 or 13. So, and a 12 or 13 year old boy is not yet a man. In our culture, in our time, and yet in this context, he was authorised to look after the family business on the farm. He was authorised to care for the family's major investment. Young fella. Yeah, he kind of had it. He was kind of handsome, but he's young. So it doesn't matter if you're a young David. It doesn't matter if you're an old, faltering lipped Moses. That has got nothing to do with the qualification of moving in the power of God. God's looking at the heart. God's looking at our heart. We often want to make the conversation about the external things or how it makes us feel or whether it's tickling all of our, our externals to make us feel comfortable. But God's just wanting you in here. He wants us to be naturally supernatural. We love the excitement of God when he's moving in power. And we ask him to send more and more every time we gather. We love the volume. We love the noise. We love the joy. We love the activity. We love it all. We love being people in the presence of God. Now, hype and manipulation, that's not our way. Authenticity, realness, unvarnished performance, <laughs> that's who we are. Real. You know, I remember a number of years back, um, I had a team of people and we were up in, um, up in Thailand and we, we got asked to come to this church and it was about six or 700 people there. And we're doing, they said, look, we're going to hold this night and we want you to come and do stuff. And we're like, yeah, sure, we'll come along. And um, I, I forget, we had a team of, I don't know, about a dozen or so. And anyway, we get to this place and, and they said to us when we got there, they said, well, we will do one hour of worship. Then vineyard, do one hour worship. And I'm like, yep, yeah, right on. And so anyway, they do one hour of worship. And I've got to say, I wish I'd have worn my workout gear. Because by the end of that, and I had a water bottle and a sweatband. Because by the end of that thing, we had worked out, jumped, worked out, pumped our bodies. We, I mean, it was like a, a pump session at the gym. You know, it was just, woo. And I mean, I've never heard some of the oldest, oldest, slowest, quietest, most intimate songs done like disco before. <laughs> it was wild. I mean, we were just like, woo. And then they said... Now, vineyard turn, lead worship. 
and we're all exhausted. <laughs> and so I looked to one of our team members, and his name was David, and he was probably in his um, early 60s at the time, late 50s, and he's a bit of a bit of a kind of a, a folky kind of a singer. And I just said to him, I said, David, can you just like grab your acoustic and just get up there and just sing, I don't know, something that'll help us um, find God? And he goes, yep, no worries. So he gets up there and the, everyone's like ready, you know, the crowd by this stage, they're pumped, 700 people sweating it out for Jesus, going for it. And David gets up there with his guitar and he sits on this little stool and he just kind of, you could feel the expectation in the air and he's like, so he's like, tunes his guitar. Doing, 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 What's this guy doing? He's ruining things. Anyway, he, he finishes tuning his guitar, and then he sort of does that, once it's tuned, he does that strum, you know, like, it's like, oh, yeah, that sounded really nice. You know, and then he just grabs that, um, I don't know if it's a third day song. I think it might be, but they sing it. I don't know if they wrote it. But he just sings this song, You Are Beautiful, My Sweet, Sweet Song. You know that one? You are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. You are... I can't remember all the words, but anyway. It's just this beautiful song of love to God. And as he sings this, he sings this one song, and everyone in the room doesn't know what to do with it. And so they all just sit there and look at him like this. And then he finishes this song, and it's so amazingly beautiful. And yet the atmosphere is completely awkward. And he goes, he says to me, that's it. Okay. So he, he comes down, and I step up with the microphone, and everyone's like, what's happening? I said, let's, let's just wait on the Lord. He's here. And so we did. We said, Holy Spirit, would you come? And I tell you, when you're, in this, when you're on this end of that prayer and you're facilitating it for another group, anything longer than five seconds is really long. You thought waiting for McDonald's in the drive-thru was long. Try this end of things when you're standing in front of a group of, you know, a massive group of people or even in a small group where there's no room to escape once you've prayed the prayer. And so I waited. And it was silent. And I waited. And then all of a sudden, after, it, it must have been about two minutes or so, but it felt like forever. But in real time, actually, two minutes is pretty darn quick there was this lady that was sitting about four rows back and I can still see her off to the right a little and she just started to shake a little under the presence of God and I just, my words were, because I'm looking, I'm like scanning the room, I'm like, 
anywhere, God. Just give me a tell. Is anyone experiencing you in this place? And then all of a sudden I could see this lady shaking, just, just gently vibrating under the Holy Spirit's presence. And I went, he's here. He's here. And I pointed at this lady and I said, to the lady there in the fourth row, we just acknowledge the Holy Spirit is on you right now. And God, we ask for more for her. And then just like, she just like melted under the love of God. The tears are rolling. She ends up on the floor just, just under God's presence. And then I said, and God, what you just did there in row four, would you like take it across the whole building? And then before you know it, it was like a war zone. There was bodies everywhere coming under the power of God's love. We're not into hype and manipulation. We actually believe that God wants to rock up. And if we just ask, and if we just wait, and we just look for with expectation, he'll come. He'll come every time, I guarantee you. But for most of us, anything longer than having to wait 15 seconds is, well, time's up, I'm out. (laughs) Seriously, folks. But we were just people that loved Jesus in that moment. See, God just wants you to be you. We're not into hype and manipulation. We don't make up stories. We don't try and keep people on a high. You know, we are really more than capable and equipped to walk with people when they're on the mountain and in the valley. As much as most people want to get out of the valley as quickly as they can, we're okay to walk there. And I'm so grateful that it's in God's heart that he made us at Vineyard to be naturally supernatural. Um, John Wimber, there's this story, you know, how... um, People once asked him, how do you prepare to you know, go into a session where you're going to go and deliver people of demons? And he said, well, I just grab a packet of chips and have a Diet Coke. He was trying to make a point. The point being that casting out demons is just as much a natural part of our every day as having milk on cereal and doing up shoelaces with it to walk. Do you get the point? It's, it's not meant to be something other than. It's just everyday business. Healing the sick, casting out demons, doing up shoelaces, feeding the poor, getting our kids to school, doing our university exams. It's all in the same story. Don't, don't let the enemy try and separate it all out. It's the one story. God's okay to be in that too. He saved you to be you. We love being naturally supernatural. Burton Wagner, um, I'm just going to finish on this one. I don't think it's up there. I think it might be on the first slide, but I'm going to quickly finish on this. Is um, the everyday, uh, um, you'll hear us whenever we're in a small group, whenever we're praying with individuals, whenever we get together like this, we always take time to say, Holy Spirit, come. What is that? Uh, you know, over the years, people have said, well, you can't demand God to come like that. Well, th- that's not what we're doing in that prayer. 
Burton Wagner, who used to be the director of Vineyard Churches USA, he said this, he said, we're committed to experiencing God. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is eager to be known and experienced by everyone. And we believe that God is searching for the lost and he longs to draw people, including ourselves, into a loving, intimate relationship with himself. And so we welcome his presence. This is the central prayer of our movement, of the vineyard. Whether we're gathered in settings like this or small groups, whether we're sitting with someone in the coffee shop, whether we're meeting a complete stranger and with a word of knowledge at HOTS or, or just as, as we're going about our, our workplace environment and we feel like God wants us to pray with them. We are deliberate and intentional about engaging with the God who wants to be experienced. That's why we use the words, come Holy Spirit. It's the cry of our soul that God, the God who wants to be revealed and experienced, would release his very presence into that atmosphere, into that moment, into that space. Where it's, it's the words that are articulating that. We're not commanding God. We're not demanding God. It's our deepest desire for God to show up. Show up, God, because we put ourselves out on a limb here with you for you, in obedience to you. Would you come? This prayer is an invitation for God to manifest his love and power. Come, Holy Spirit, is one of our prayers. But at the same time, um, there's, this, uh, there's this conference that Wimber was doing in the UK, I think, at one point in time, and he had churches from all over the body of Christ represented. They'd spent all this time planning and resourcing and they brought this massive conference together from all parts of the body of Christ and there was they'd invited John to come and so night one it's a massive crowd and he's there speaking and he says at the end of it okay let's just see what God wants to do now and so he prays the prayer come Holy Spirit and he waits and he walks around and he, in, in the telling of the story, he tells it like, like, you know, all good people when they're leading ministry time, when you, you, you invite God by praying that prayer, then you walk around and, you, and, 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 and John would sometimes shake his hand a little bit and people would interview him afterwards and say, was that God on you with your hand shaking? He goes, no, I'm just like trying to figure out what's God doing? And he said, I'm just praying my best prayers, which is, oh God, oh God, oh God, show up. That's what was going on inside the man. And then so he does this at this great gathering of the body of Jesus. And then he says, that's it tonight. We're going home. And people were stunned. They were like, what? And so John just packed up and he said, we'll see you tomorrow. Session starts at this time. And he grabbed his Bible and off he walked. And he got roasted by the guys that were leading this conference. They pull him aside and they say, John, what are you doing? We've got all these people here and they're all expecting this, you know, great move of God. What are you doing packing up going home? He said, well, I didn't feel like God was going to do anything. So I just thought, let's pack it up and go home. He said, and, he, and they, they were most upset with him and indignant. And he said, what, do you want me to make something up? 
We want God to be God. We want God to be God. We're not interested in hype and manipulation. We're not interested in making stuff happen when it's not happening. We just want God to be God. And he loves to be God. Hadn't you noticed that? He loves to be God. Um, And I love that about the vineyard movement. We don't want to make anything up. We just really want God to be God. And that's why we cry out in that prayer, come Holy Spirit. Um, Now, last Sunday was really awesome. We had all these words of knowledge happening in the body and all these people receiving God and healing. And it was just a fantastic time. And um, because we asked God to come and be God. And as we've taught in previous weeks, everyone gets to play. Our job here is to equip you to engage with God and do the stuff, to know how to hear his voice, to know how to move in prophetic words and how to heal the sick, not pray for the sick, but actually heal the sick. Um, And it was just a great time of ministry. And so this morning, uh, I want to just read out some of the words of knowledge that... um, that the team received this morning before church. And then we're going to ask God to come and minister to these.